Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. Speaking from John chapter 11, so if you'd like to turn there now, you can in your Bible. My, ver- my version may be slightly different to yours, but the story remains the same because God's Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is the same faithful God that we look back to and we look at the stories in this Bible are the same truths that God holds for us today, which is always an exciting journey. And we're finding ourselves in John chapter 11 with the story of Lazarus. And many of us in this room would be familiar with this story. We've heard many messages preached about this story. We've heard many um, uh, titles and, and people speaking about the story of Lazarus. But I think the Word of God is alive and breathing and it's working today. And I think He can speak to us today about this story that we've heard maybe so many times. Maybe this is your first time hearing the story, then great, this is an easy job for me. But maybe you, this is your 50th or 100th time you've heard this story preached on. Can I just challenge us? Let's lean in for what God wants to say, not necessarily my message, but what God wants to bring out from this story this morning and choose to gain something from it. Is that good? Awesome. So John chapter 11, 1 to 7 says... Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to the Lord, to to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. I like that phrasing because they're saying, Jesus, the one you have personal connection with, the one you have friendship with, the one you know, Lazarus, is sick. He is, he is dying. He is in a bad way. They're trying to get the point across that God, you know this dude. Come and show up. Come and be, the, come and be his salvation. Come and be his, his healer. Come and be the same one that we know you're a miracle working God. So come and do it on behalf of Lazarus. Your friend is sick. Verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. That sounds great, doesn't it? No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, at this point in the story, I'm thinking, great, Jesus is going to go heal Lazarus before he dies. Everything's going to be great. People's faith is still going to be in the same place where they started because they went to the right source. They went to God when he was in his sickness. They went to the healer when they needed healing. Lazarus was a friend. He had personal connection. And I'm thinking, great, Jesus loves them. So he's going to go and do something for them right here, right now. But then he turns the story around. He says this, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for this story. I thank you, Lord, this is a reality in your word. That God is not something that was written to highlight a truth just for that God. It's actually historical and it's, it's true. This is a reality for Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And so, God, I ask that you would reveal the words for us that you would like us to hear this morning, Father God. That, Father God, you would encourage us and inspire us in your holy name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Today's sermon is called The Silent Saviour. The Silent Saviour. Whoever has, want, has tried to text somebody only to see that they've read it and not replied? Who does that? If, you, if the person sitting next to you does that to you all the time, you can raise your hand and you can just point them out to me. Fantastic. I see some hands. I see that hand. But there's nothing more frustrating than sending an important text message 
and a message to somebody, namely, most of the time it's your parents, I don't know why, technologically, I guess, um, struggling, and they don't answer. They don't answer back. All you see is that little thing on the bottom that says read or seen. I mean, I can understand if they don't answer and it's just delivered, but when it says seen, like, you know when they've read it. You know you know it. And the thing is, my mum is a phantom text non-replier. She is the worst at it. I mean, my dad gets so frustrated with it sometimes. He goes out and he buys her an Apple Watch, which aren't the cheapest things. And he says, put it around your wrist. That way when I call you, when I text you, when I need to contact you, I can contact you. So mum puts on the watch. It buzzes every time she gets a text. You can do everything on the Apple Watch that you can do on your iPhone. And so she gets the text on her arm. And guess what? it still says seen. She still never replies to the text messages. She still leaves you left on red. There's something so frustrating about being left on red. But what happens when God leaves us left on red? What happens when we know God has received the message, you prayed, and you put in the right, the right area code, you said amen. <laughs> Kids ask me how to pray, and sometimes I'm like, you have to say amen, otherwise he doesn't receive it. <laughs> But I'm only kidding. <laughs> but you put in the right thing, you say the right words, and God leaves you on red. He's an omniscient God. He's all-knowing. He's, all, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere, and yet He's nowhere, seemingly nowhere, our silent Savior. And in the story we're about to pull apart a bit, God leaves Mary and Martha and Lazarus on red. He gets the message and he stays two more days. He gets the message and he says, I'll, I'll wait. What happens to us and our faith journey when we're waiting or seemingly waiting on God? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves from the story. You see, I have things in my life that I'm waiting since, teenage, since being a teenager for God to answer and I'm still waiting. We all have things in our life that we've been praying for, we've been believing for, maybe fasting for, coming to church for, coming back into His presence for, and asking again and again and again and again and again. And we know that He hears us. And yet we're still stuck waiting on our silent Savior. See, in this story, there's two people. There's Mary, there's Martha, there's Lazarus, there's Jesus. Jesus loved them all, and yet He still chose to wait. Can I ask this? Could it be that his mere silence is a sign that he is actually working in our situation? See, could it be that while he may not be answering in the thunderous thunderclap moment that we all want, we all want those microwave miracles. We want to put it in and thank you, God. That's awesome. Prepared, miracle, ready to go. But sometimes it's the journey and it's the faith built in the journey that God's actually wanting to build in us. And it's not just about the supernatural moment, it's about the journey we have with Him. Could it be that His mere silence in our situations is a sign that He is working in them, that He is present in them, that He is there with us in them? You see, too many people fall victim to the silence and abandon their Saviour. And we all know people, we've been in, maybe we've been in spots, and we all have been in spots where our faith has been abandoned in moments of silence and we turn away from the Savior only to be redirected back towards Him. What can we learn from this story this morning? The first one I want to talk about is silence 
is a setup. In John 11, 3, John 11, 3 to 6 says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You see, the thing I, real, I realized from this story is that Jesus did this deliberately, but very, very intentionally, because he understood that the story was about to bring God glory. And maybe the reason he remained silent in your story is so that you can get to the end of yourself only to find his strength in you that was there the whole entire time. He understood that the glory was about to reign over the story of Lazarus, but he just had to be silent in the process of them trying everything they could to keep him alive. See, the pattern of silence is a biblical pattern that we see throughout the Bible. I'm gonna name a few of them right now. In Genesis, God spoke into the silence. It says that he was hovering over the abyss. There's nothing, no earth formed, no life formed. And then he spoke into the silence and the silence was broken and life was formed. In 1 Kings, Elijah spends three and a half years. Elijah, a mighty man of God, a prophet of God, saw amazing miracles. He spends three and a half years in drought. Three and a half years without a word from God. We think God's not speaking to us. Three and a half years without a sign, wonder, or a word when you've seen so many amazing things in your past and you still have the faith when God says to go tell the king that it's gonna rain, that the drought's gonna break, that he would do it. In a moment, God speaks to him after three and a half years and says, the drought's gonna break, get ready. And he gets ready. In between the books of Malachi, which is the Old Testament, and Matthew in the New Testament, all the prophecies from the Old Testament foretelling what Jesus would do and be in the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence, 400 years of nothing, 400 years of waiting on this Saviour that was prophesied in the Old Testament but was only to be born into the city of Bethlehem 400 years later. You see, silence leads to breakthrough because the silence of God is a setup that He is making in the process. Turn the person next to you, tell them I'm not worried. Now turn to the person you just ignored <laughs> and tell them it's a setup. And if you're not sitting next to somebody, try to sit ne next to somebody. <laughs> Fill the rows from the middle, people. He was asking this. Mary and Martha in this moment are asking God, where are you? And God's saying, it's a setup, people. I know what I'm doing. And sometimes that's all we need to remember when we, when we have our moment of silence is that, God, I trust you anyway. I don't see it right now. Or I don't even hear it right now. I don't see that you're working. It sounds like a song. I don't feel that you're working. <laughs> you're still my way maker. You're still with me in the moment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay where I am in my faith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna place my faith even into you more so because I believe and I know that your silence just means it's a setup waiting to happen. His silence is a setup for the supernatural coming into our world. Point number two, while the silence is a setup, we have to be weary because the silence is also deafening. It's deafening. John 11, 17 to 20. Jesus is now returning back to um, Judea days after Lazarus has died. He's too late. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. 
Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and so many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Listen to this. But Mary stayed home. You see, we hear the stories of Mary and Martha. Mary was the one, remember in in that story where Jesus comes to their house and Mary's the one sitting at the feet of Jesus just gleaning. And Martha's the one doing the busy work, getting the dinner ready and getting everything ready. And we talk about how great Mary was, but in this story, I think Martha's pretty great. I think Martha's pretty great because what amongst the silence, amongst the deafening tone of death and decrease and everything that was happening in this story, Martha's attentive to the movements of God. And sometimes the silence can become deafening to us and it pulls us away from God rather than dragging us toward God. See, Mary is in a situation, she's surrounded by grieving people. And the, and the scholars say that they were paid, a lot of them, it was a custom, customary of the day that they pay people to come and grieve with them. And people will come into your life if you've had the wrong people around your life and they will grieve the situation that God's actually wanting to work in. And if, we don't, if we're not attentive to his movements, we'll miss the move that he wants to do in our life. And I love that Martha's so onto it that at the very inkling that Jesus had moved, even though he was seemingly late in her response, even though he was seemingly late and Lazarus lay dead in the tomb, she goes out to meet him. It's like, God, I've got more. I've got more. I've got to meet with you. How many times in our life do we find ourselves silenced by situations? Silenced to the voice of God by situations. Who has a pair of noise-canceling headphones? How fantastic are they? I mean, particularly on airplanes when the kid's crying next to you, you just put these things on and bam, you're in your own world. And you know, when I put them on, people will come and talk to me. I, I can't really hear what I'm, I can hear a touch right now. But when I have them on, people will be talking to me and I won't reply. I've, I obviously cannot hear anything that they are trying to tell me. And they'll come to me later on and be like, didn't you hear that? Why, why didn't you respond before? I'm like, was I wearing my headphones? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, they're noise canceling. Can't actually hear anything I'm saying. And so often the situations in our life become like these headphones where we put them on towards God because we go, God, you're not even, you're not talking. You're silent. You've moved on. The situation's over. So I'm just going to place the situation and it's going to deafen me to your voice. I'm going to get the wrong people around me and they're going to grieve with me and they're going to have no hope for me and it's going to deafen me to your movements. But church, we have been called to be a church that is attentive like Martha to the movements of our Saviour, even when He is silent. Even because it takes more faith to believe in the silent Saviour than the supernatural one. It takes more faith to believe in the God that's not working right now, but we believe will work in the future. It takes more faith, and we need, to, we need to go into a different place to actually believe that He is for us and not against us in those moments. And so we have a, we have a, we have a question we have to ask ourselves. Will I be deafened to the silence, or will it attract me closer to His voice? Martha ran, but Mary stayed home. Martha ran. But Mary stayed home. See, the thing about these headphones is I control the volume and I control what's played. In, the, in our life, we control the volume and we control what's being played into our mind. Amongst the silence, we control what thoughts we let play over and over and over. We control the volume that we crank those things up to. We control how deaf we are to the movements and the voice of God. 
We control if we wear them, if we wear that situation, if we wear that circumstance, if we wear that bad health report, or if we don't. Will we be like Martha, or will we be like Mary and stay home? You see, in those moments, you know those days when you don't feel like going to church, (laughs) and it's real, you're tired, you've had a big week, everything's happened, and you have an option. I didn't really get much last week when I went to church. Yeah, worship was good, but they didn't sing my favorite song. Praise was good, but I can't really jump up too much anymore. And the aircon was cold. The scones weren't as good last week either. We start to make up all the excuses why we can't get to church. And it becomes harder, but who knows, all the more, that's when we need to draw closer into His presence. That's when we need to come even all the more into this place that He is calling us. You see, Mary had to be told, Jesus is on the move. Martha didn't have to get told. Martha knew. Will we be people that are told of the movements of God? Or will we be people that run after the movements of God? Point number three, silence must lead to surrender. John eleven thirty three to 39, stick with me here. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who would come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. He was moved and troubled that they were weeping over something that he had declared not dead. And so often we weep over things that he has declared not dead, not realizing that he is about to move, although he remains silent. And he asked them this question, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. That is the shortest verse in the Bible right there. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loves him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Mary said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour. For he has been there for four days. Four days. One time I went hunting with my brother and my dad, and we borrowed mum's Parado, mum's white Toyota Parado, which is always a bad idea if you're going hunting. Now, I'm going to be very, I'm not, I don't want to offend anyone, okay, but I, we were hunting hares, which are a pest, and we were told to hunt the hares, and that's all we hunted, and we were hunting these hares, and all through the night, we're hunting hares, and me and my brothers We thought it was a great idea just to chuck the hairs up onto the roof racks of mum's white Toyota Parado. And me and dad and the brothers, we had worked out a strategy of how to be most effective in our hunting skills. And we would lean on the top of mum's, like she had a sunroof. So we would have the gun at the top of the sunroof and we would lean in the car with with our knees on the dashboard and we would hunt from the top of the car and it was amazing. And we're just throwing these hairs up onto the roof racks all night long. And literally the pile of hairs was massive. It was ginormous. Not to boast. (laughs) But we got rid of the hairs, the pests on that farm. And then we went to bed. (laughs) And it rained. And oh, did it rain. Did it rain. And that white, pristine Toyota Parado, which was mum's pride and joy, which we only just just were able to use for that weekend, was now a pink Toyota Parado. And it was no longer pristine, and it was very, very smelly. And in our moment of desperation, 
we start throwing these dead bodies off the side of the road, spreading them out. We are freaking out, particularly dad. He knows his life is over. When we get home, when we get home, <laughs> you see, usually it's the, it's the parents that have a little bit of dirt on the kids. <laughs> but now it's the kids that had a little bit of dirt on the parents. And they're throwing, we're throwing these bunnies off the road. And the stench was following us. We get to the car wash. <laughs> And there's only, there's only, we get to this BP and there's only a container of, you know, the things that you fill up your water with. We only have that to clean the whole entire car. And we're using it and we're scrubbing it and it's not, it's not working. There's just not enough water. So we go to car lovers on the way home and people are looking at us. I mean, the stench of it, the look of it. Look, there was a massacre. Bunnies, hunting. And we tried our best to get rid of the stench. We tried our best to get rid of any evidence that this had happened. And as soon as we got home, mum said, what did you do to my car? (laughs) And sometimes we can be like my brothers and I with the dead things in our life. They've stained us. They stink. And we try our best to cover our tracks to hide them from God. We try our best to mask that which is the stink of these situations, the reality of these situations. But God, like my mum, <laughs> He knows. He knows. So when He gets to Lazarus's tomb, well, before that, He asked, Where have you laid him? And I wonder this morning if God was right here, He would be asking the same Where have you laid that dead thing? Where have we laid that dead dream, that dead aspiration, that dead hope, that dead report, that dead opportunity? Where have we put it? And would we be like Martha who goes, Jesus, this is where it is. But that's just the start because now he says, roll it back. Break the cup, break the seal that you've placed over it. I know you've tried your best to contain her, but break it back. Bring it back. Let me in. And we can try our best to cover and mask it and clean it and do our best to make sure that it looks pristine. The situation that was once, that was once alive is now dead. And we can try our best to make it look and seem as if it's perfect. Only for God to say, I know what's up. And I need you to break forth. I need you to roll back that, that cover. I need you to break through that wrap. I need you to break through that hard thing that you've placed over that life, part of your life because I want the places that you think are dead because I want to raise them to life. I want the places that you think stink. I want the places that you think are gone and over and dead and gone. I want those places because I want to work my miracle right here, right now. Sometimes we try to hide dead things in our life for God when the first thing we should do is bring Him to those places and allow Him to open those places up one more time. What if they said no? No, it stinks. Four days too late, Jesus. Come back next time when we actually ask. Sometimes we can be like that. God, come back next time when I ask and I might let you in. See, Martha and Mary, they had to make the decision. Let's roll it back. Let's roll it back. Psalm 55, 22, cast all your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will ne- never let you, never let the righteous be shaken. You see, silence must lead to our surrender. 
It has to come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to the end of ourselves only to find his strength there. In our weakness, he is strong. When we don't understand, we lean on, his, on him. In all of our ways, acknowledging him and he will make our path straight. We must come to a place of surrender from the silence. And point number four, when we find ourselves in silence, we must remind ourselves that the silence must end. It must end. It might, it's not a might end. It's not a one day will end. It is, it's going to end. It's just a matter of when. It's not a matter of if, but it's just when is it going to end. Let me encourage you, if you're waiting on something, it's not if it will end. It's not if the silence will end. If the breakthrough will come, it will come one day or another, but we remain faithful. John eleven forty one to 44, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this from the, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Exclamation mark. Don't read that part like a bedtime story. It says that he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. When God comes, he calls out in a loud voice. When the silence breaks, it's a triumphant entry. And it's an awe-inspiring moment. It's a moment that man can't get the glory for. It's a moment that when he cries out, when we roll back the tomb, when we break away, when we say, God, here's the situation that you wanted. Here's the thing that you wanted. Here's the thing that I thought was dead. He says, Lazarus, come out. Come out. And he says, all authority has been given to him. So that thing must rise. And that dead dream, when he calls it out in your life, must rise. Even right now, that dead hope in your life must rise. And the Holy Spirit may be just saying that to you right now. Come out, come out, come out. Let me into that thing. Let me into that dark place. Let me into that thing that you've wrapped up and put away because it is going to be something that I'm gonna call out and it's gonna be something that I call out right here, right now. The silence must end. What was a dead dream? What was dead potential? What was a dead miracle? What was dead would be called back to life. He called out in a loud voice because when he does move, he moves in power. When he does move, he wants to make a clear sign to everyone there that day, I am working here. And over your life today, God wants to make a clear sign it may not look like it, but I am working here. This miracle is under construction. Lazarus, come out. When he speaks, every condition, every anxiety, every fear, every tribulation, every anger, every bit of lust, every bit of addiction must listen. When he says, come out, that thing must come out. See, Jesus loving Lazarus was being silent. The act of Jesus loving Lazarus in this story was to be silent so that he could use his strength, master up everything of, in the human ability to say, I'm trying my best, only for it to fail and him having to completely rely on that which God was about to do. For us to be emblems of the glory of God is the highest form of love that He can show. And I don't know the situations, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but can I encourage us that God's gonna work His glory through your story. 
And that for your life to be an emblem of that glory is the highest form of love that we can ever be a part of because it's attached to an eternal God, a divine God, and a God who's calling us out. And He's ending the silence. This story was a catalyst for His crucifixion. After this, straight into the next chapter, the Sanhedrin, get the, the priests and the chiefs of the time get together and they start plotting a plan to kill Jesus because this story was so different. This was the thing that pushed them over the edge and they, they started to say, he's doing too much. He's working too many wonders. He's receiving too much glory. See, this was the moment where Jesus starts to get in the situation that he just walked Mary, Martha, and Lazarus through. This is the part that encourages me, church. That Jesus, like Lazarus, was put through a time of silence. He was put through a time where his body was broken. They could whip him. They tore his flesh. They used their hands to pull out his beard. They forced a crown of thorns through his skull. They spat in his face nailed him to a rugged cross. They killed his body. And on that cross, he cries out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in his life, God, Jesus lays on that cross and he realises the silence. And yet he trusts God anyway knowing that this story would end in eternal glory. That this dying on the cross, although it was a moment of silence, although it was a moment of pain, would end up fulfilling the promises of God. Does that story sound at all familiar? That they put his body in a tomb for three days. His disciples think it's all over. Just like Mary and Martha think it's all over. Only for that stone to be rolled away and the body to come out alive once again. See, Jesus understands the silence. He understands what we're going through. In fact, He understands it more than we will ever know. Thank God for that. He understands the pain. He understands where we're at. But like Him, can we be faithful to the Word of God? Can we be faithful to the call of God? Even in the silence. At times in my life, I've found myself serving a silent saviour. The reality is if we journey with him long enough, there will be moments when we serve a silent saviour. Will we remember that it's just a setup? Will we remember that although it's deafening to draw closer to his voice, will we remember that he would work his wonder in our story? Would we remember to surrender the things that we think are dead? Would we remember that it's just a setup? for what he's about to call out. Our God is a silent saviour. It's not up to mankind to judge his actions or inactions. We just need to learn to trust him anyway. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for this moment. I encourage, I ask that, Lord, you would encourage those people in this room who feel like they're in a silent situation, that God, you are, there, you were present, you were powerful, they know that. But God, you were silent. God, I just ask that you would encourage and remind them right now that you understand that silence. 
And that, Father God, though they killed your body, they could not kill your spirit. And though those things around us may seemingly die, they could not kill the spirit that, that is within us, that is your Holy Spirit, Father God. So I just ask, Lord, that you would encourage, inspire, and call out those dead things back into the life again, Father. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.